All right, you may be seated. Good morning. My goodness, good morning, good morning to you. The warmest of welcomes to Northwest Hills. So good to see you here today. On this beautiful Sunday, as we are making our way through the winter season, the winter is coming to an end. Spring is just around the corner. As I left my home early this morning, I was met with bright sunshine, lots of deer that were talking to me as I was uh, making my way to my car, and birds that were singing. And in my soul, I thought, spring is surely near, and that's a great thing. We love all the seasons. I think it's a joy living in such a beautiful place where we can enjoy all the seasons. And to watch the seasons of our life come and go is uh, is really, really neat. And it's so good to see you here today. The warmest of welcomes. Again, I apologize for my voice quality. Uh, just battling a cold that I know will pass. But I know it's uh, a little irritating listening to a scratchy voice. I'll surely do my very best today. I want to welcome all of our uh, online uh, viewers. We have such a wonderful group that views online every week uh, from Albany uh, to Philomath to all over the Mid Willamette Valley. We welcome our online viewers and uh, we love them so much and so glad that they watch with us. Uh, it's neat to see that uh, viewership growing. Um, our, our Watch the Message page is the most visited page on our website, which is really, uh, really neat. And even for you, if you miss a service because of busy life schedules, you can, you can go on during the week and, and watch online and stay caught up with what we're studying week in and week out, which is, which is a wonderful blessing and a great way to leverage technology to keep us all moving together as a church family. Today we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 5. Let me say right from the uh, get-go this morning, a very unique chapter. You know very well the story of Nehemiah by this point. We've been working our way through Nehemiah, and we've been enjoying learning about this great leader and what God had called him to do. Uh, Without going back over all of the history, um, we know that King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians... If you wonder about the Babylonians, the ancient Babylonians are the modern-day Iraqis. Ancient Babylon is modern-day Iraq. So, obviously, it's a country that even to this very day is in the news often and has been in recent years. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, now known as the Iraqis, uh, defeated the people of God and their uh, capital of Jerusalem and And really not only defeated them, but they routed them. And they really left the city in ruins. And many years later, God's people are coming back to their homeland to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. The first wave of people came back under the leaders Zerubbabel in 538 B.C. to rebuild the temple. The second group came back in 458 B.C. under the great leader Ezra. Ezra really was the pastor of the people. It was there to build them up and to strengthen them in the work that they had in front of them of rebuilding a city, of rebuilding a nation, and of even rebuilding the walls around the city. When we think about what all we have for construction today, the reality that you can go down to the Home Depot and rent pretty much any tool that you need. You can buy tools that you need. You can even, you can even rent an excavator and bring it to your house and move a lot of dirt and a lot of rock quickly. But, 
But in this day, there were no power tools as we know them today. There were no uh, modern excavating equipment that we have today. And they have these amazing, breathtaking construction responsibilities with the crudest of tools at their hands. And yet they, they did amazing things. And they show us such a picture and a portrait of ingenuity. Zerubbabel and Ezra. And then Nehemiah, the, the gentleman that we're studying here, 444 B.C., leading a group out of the land of the Medes and the Persians to rebuild the city walls. We've already tipped our hand. We've already uh, told you the end of the story. In fact, next week we'll find our way to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, where we learn that on October 2nd, we love these four words. The wall was finished. The wall was finished. How many of you have ever started a construction project at your house that to this very day is yet unfinished? Let me see your hands. Where are all the unfinished projects? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's very common. Many years ago, when we were living up in Hillsborough, I had a friend named Chuck, and he decided to put new laminate flooring in his house. How many of you have ever done new laminate flooring in your house? Very common among we 21st century Americans. New laminate flooring in the house. And we would go over and look at the flooring. And man, he put it throughout his entire house. And what an impressive job he did. But he never got it fully finished. He never got the trim done around all of the edges of the laminate flooring, flooring. And every time that I would go into his house in the Willamette Valley to look at his laminate flooring... You know, all I could see was that unfinished trim. It drove me crazy. And I think after a while, they stopped seeing it. But when I would go in, it was all I could see. It was unfinished. And we've all had unfinished projects. I've got some unfinished projects right now that I need to get finished this spring. That's a part of life. And it's what makes these words so amazingly wonderful. In Nehemiah 6.15, the wall was finished. What an awesome thing God did as he used the people to achieve such an amazing task. Something that I've learned uh, from Nehemiah is that, is that Nehemiah and the people weren't working for God. You know what they were doing? It comes out almost from the very first verse. They were working with God. They were working with God. Don't see yourself as someone who is working for God. You're working with God. He has brought you and bought you into his family. He's changed your life from the inside out. He's filled that void in your life that nothing else or no one else could ever fill. And now you have the opportunity of working with him as you build relationships, as you parent your children, as you make order out of your finances, as you as you treat your employees and employers fairly and you work hard and you do the next right thing, you're not working for him, you're working with him. And what a joy and what a privilege that is. And Nehemiah and the people saw that and what great things they achieve in this amazing book. The wall was finished. And we see the the progression of the construction project throughout the book. And yet we come to this, what I call this quirky sort of odd fifth chapter that's almost like a parenthesis in the story. Um, And and you come upon it, and and we've been reading about God leading Nehemiah and Nehemiah gathering the people, and they make the trip back to Jerusalem, and construction begins, and rubble's being removed, and new wall is being replaced. And before long, we're going to see 
of the wall around Jerusalem, a mile and a half wide, is going to be done in 52 days, 615. It's, it's finished. And we watch all of this unfolding, and we're, we're tracking so well. And, and then we bump up to this fifth chapter, and it's, it's different, it's quirky, it's, it's like a parenthesis in the story. But I think this morning we're going to see that there's some amazing life lessons from this fifth chapter that we can apply directly to our lives, right where we're living them here in, in March 2019. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1 says this, about this time... Some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. It's interesting. About this time, it opens up here. What time was it? We're literally 75 to 80% of the way completed with the wall. We are just turning the sort of the final turn to where we can see out ahead the finish line of a A job well done, a wall that's completed. To God be the glory, great things He has done. And thank you, God, for giving us a chance of working with you and seeing this done. They're turning that final turn. The finish line is straight ahead. That's exactly where they are here. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised up a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. Uh Uh-oh. How's Nehemiah going to handle this? They have been up to this point an incredibly unified team in rebuilding and working around the wall. It's not that they haven't faced opposition. They faced opposition primarily from without in the names of two individuals named Sanballat and Tobiah. We learned about them a couple of weeks ago. And they filed on the workers on the wall. And they criticized. And they harassed. And they harangued. And they fought against them. But it's one thing to face opposition from without. It's an entirely different thing when you face opposition from within. My biggest concern for Northwest Hills is not the opposition that we face from without our walls. For in a way, that tends to galvanize people together, right? It tends to sort of bind them together. And, and somehow we, we come together closer and we can become more tight-knit. And we, we're more determined to work with our God and not fall to these forces from without. But we're going to go ahead and see the victories that we have to face. We, we do that as families. When we face things from without, we somehow bind together and, and, we, and we push through and we press on. But we must be very careful when we face divisions and struggles from within. For they can really sabotage the good work that God is doing in and through us. And that's exactly what we see the people are facing here. Some of the men and their wives raise up a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families and we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields and vineyards and homes to get food And this is pretty breathtaking, these next three words, because it's the first time we really come face to face with this reality. They were building the wall, rebuilding the wall. They were doing this amazing feat with God after traveling all that distance, removing rubble, building in new bricks, working together, dealing with enemies from without. All the while, they're dealing with a famine in the land and there is a food shortage. And they were navigating a lot. In their life. You know what? That's not very much different than your life. For here's what I know that in every one of our lives every day, we navigate a lot of realities at once. 
responsibilities at work, uh, an individual in our family who's maybe dealing with sickness, uh, maybe an individual in our extended family that maybe has a terminal illness. There's relationship issues. There's financial issues. Another month where there's more month than there is money. And that brings tremendous pressure into a family. All kinds of things that we navigate. And these guys were just like us. They were navigating so much. And, and, and these workers raise up their voices of protest because of what they were dealing with. We've mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. I love what they say in verse 5. We belong to the same family. It's not the forces from without that are giving us such a difficult time right now. It's the forces from within. We're, We're really struggling with the realities of our very own family. How many of you have ever struggled with some personalities and situations and circumstances within your very own family. Let me see your hand. Absolutely. We all have. Welcome to life. And sometimes they can be the most difficult for us to navigate. Sometimes they're the, they're the hardest for us to figure out. You know why? Because they're so close to us. And when things are that close to you, it is really hard to have a good perspective on those problems. And here's what they're dealing with. We belong to the same family. We're dealing, with, we're dealing with family members here who are wealthy. And our children are just like theirs. Yet we must, listen to this, we must sell our children into slavery. This is unbelievable. Just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it. For our fields and our vineyards are already mortgaged to others. In other words, here it is in the vernacular. We're already mortgaged to the hilt. And we have no more room to breathe. We can't even buy food. We can't even provide for our families. When I heard their complaints, look at the pronoun there. I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against These nobles and officials, I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At that meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back again into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. What a breathtaking chapter. And this morning, I want you to see this chapter really through three sets of eyes. And I think from each of these set of eyes, we can learn a really amazing truth that we can absolutely put right into our back pocket and take home with us and apply directly to our lives today. The first set of eyes that I want you to see are the eyes of the common man or the common woman who were working along day in and day out on the wall. That's what we see right up there in chapter 5, verse 1. About this time, some of the men and their wives. These individuals weren't the key leader, Nehemiah, whose name bears in this book, no. These individuals weren't the nobles and officials that we meet there in verse 7. We're going to see all of this story through their eyes in just a moment. These are just the average people 
These are the common people. These are all of those people who were a part of that group of people that, that walked and worked and made their way back and took out the old rubble and built in the new rubble and just showed up and worked hard every day building this wall, providing for their families, reestablishing themselves in and around Jerusalem to realize again the dream that God had put in their heart to be able to come back to their homeland. It's just the average working people that we see here. And you know what I thought about as I was preparing this message? The truth is, that is the vast majority of folks in Northwest Hills who tomorrow morning are going to get up when the alarm goes off. And you're going to go to work. And you're going to work on your, what is your, for this season of your life, your respective wall. And you're going to work hard there at your job. And you're going to come home and you're going to you're going, to, you're going to work in your vineyard and you're going to deal with your, your livestock and you're going to try to feed your children and love your family. And hopefully it's all going to settle down somewhere around 9 or 10 o'clock and you're going to go lay down in your bed. You're going to set your alarm. The alarm's going to go off the next morning and you're going to watch church. You're going to do it all over what? Again, that's exactly right. And you're going to get up and you're going to put fuel in your car and you're going to thank God that you have a car. And you're going to drive to your job. And you're going to thank God that you have a job to drive to. And you're going to work hard. And you're going to deal with all kinds of issues and all kinds of people. And people who are fair and people who are unfair. People who are kind and people who are unkind. People who are helpful and people who are incredibly unhelpful. Some of you are going to install some new computer programs. And people are going to get it instantly. And there's going to be other people who are going to ask you a thousand dumb questions for a week about that. And it's going to drive you insane. And you're going to drive home and you're going to pick up your kids and you're going to water the livestock. You're going to feed the chickens. You're going to get the rabbit out of the hutch. You're going to walk the dog. You're going to make a meal. You're going to get the family around the table for the meal. You're going to get everybody their baths and showers. You're going to settle it all back down again. Somewhere hopefully around 9 or 10 it settles. And you're going to go lay in your bed and you're going to reach over. You're going to set your alarm. And the next morning you're going to do it all over what church again. And that's exactly who these people are. And yet they're going through a very difficult time. A time that is so difficult that they can't even feed their families. Can you imagine? They've even had to sell some of their children back into slavery to be able to take the money from the sale of these children. Are you kidding me? To be able to use that money to pay their bills and to put food on their table and try to find some way to navigate this incredibly difficult moment to take care of their lives and their families. I love what Nehemiah said. How are we doing this to each other? Bear in mind, this pressure was coming from within their own extended Hebrew family. How are we doing this to each other? Look how hard we've worked to get back to Jerusalem and to our freedom. And we have folks within our very own family here that are having to send people back into captivity in order to have a chance to even pay their bills. What do we see through the eyes of these common men and women? Here's what we see. We see people who are going through a really, really hard time. And maybe there's some common men and women in this room this morning. And you show up every day at work. Or maybe your work is, is within your home, which is amazingly important and hard work. 
And whatever that looks like in your particular life, with your particular life choices, you show up every day to work hard. But the truth is this, even with all of your hard work and all the effort that you're making, you are still going through some really, really difficult times in this season of your life. What do these common men and women who are working hard have to teach us? You know what they have to teach us? The simple truth is this. They were going through it. It was difficult in Nehemiah 5. Can I tell you this? It was much better in Nehemiah 4. Can I tell you this? In Nehemiah 6, it's going to get really great. And although they were going through a difficult season and time in their life, it was just that. It was just a season and a time. And the words that I don't want you to miss are this. They are going through a hard time. They didn't set up camp in their hard time. They didn't camp out there. They didn't just pull the the trailer in place there and, and, and take the wheels off of it and put skirting around it and put up the canopy permanently. And just say, we're just going to stay in this hard time. You know what they did? They showed us how to process through a hard time. And they followed God and they worked their way through. And I want you to see in just a few moments the roles that other people played. It's breathtaking. And I came this morning to deliver to someone some very good news. That what you are going through, you are going through. That what you are going through, you are going through. And one chapter does not define an entire book. And one difficult season in your life does not define an entire life. But I promise you this, that whatever God wants to teach you in this season, he has ordained it or allowed it for your good and the blessing of others. And you're going to learn some things during this season about yourself. And you're going to learn some things during this season about the goodness and greatness of God. There'll be lessons and takeaways that you'll take with you into your life for the rest of your life. And they'll not only mean a tremendous amount to you, but let me just say this to you. They're going to also mean a tremendous amount to somebody else. You know what I've learned? I finally figured this out at 48. That we tend, we tend to want to cover up and hide the things about us that are the absolute most powerful and compelling things about us. And it's the victories, it's the defeats, it's the blessings, it's the scars, it's the great moments and the hard moments that we've been through that really are the secret sauce as to what makes us interesting and compelling and absolutely having then the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. We tend to, I think with our own pride, want to cover up the things about our life that makes our life the most absolutely fragrant fragrant and usable and a blessing to other people. It's what they went through here. And the stories and the lessons that are learned and the victories that are won, that's not only going to mean something to them for the long haul, but it's going to mean something to someone else as well. When they, in a very appropriate way, at some point in the future, show that scar and say, let me show you what I went through. But here's what I've got to tell you today. I went through it. It didn't kill me. It didn't crush me. And you can go through it as well. And we have the courage and the authenticity and the vulnerability to be able to share with someone else not only the great things in our life, but the hard moments, the difficult moments, and the scars of our life. 
that then make our life so incredibly attractive. Because here's what we know about every individual on the planet. They're all going through those things together. This is what makes Facebook in some ways, and I enjoy Facebook, don't get me wrong, but it's what makes it somewhat problematic in that we try to always put out on Facebook only just the great moments of our life. And if you just look at someone's Facebook profile, you just, uh, you just see all of these amazing, the Hawaii trip and the child that graduated summa cum laude with, with, with all of these degrees and is going on to this school and, and this new car and this new puppy and all of this. And, and by the way, all of that is awesome and wonderful. But this is what I know about your life. Oh, I know this about your life. There's a whole lot more to your life than just that. I'm waiting for that Facebook post that says, boy, we had a knockdown drag out fight last night. It raged on late into the evening and even, in fact, into the wee hours of the morning. But you know what? We didn't let the sun go down on our wrath. We stayed up and we resolved it. I'm waiting for that Facebook post that talks about the child that's gotten expelled from school. Sitting here at the high school, picking up son who has just been expelled. We're hoping for a better day. We really feel potential is great. Right? Facebook post. Just got call from principal of elementary school. Biting again. First grade. All other parents hate us, but we're trying to figure out how to right, navigate this. Right? Yeah. You know what that's called? We laugh. Why? It's life. It's life. And our life has great moments and our life has has difficult moments. Our life has great seasons. Our life has difficult seasons. Guess what? When we have those difficult seasons, there's something that we go through. And we need to follow God through them. We need to learn great lessons in them. We need to learn about ourselves. We need to learn about our great God. And then once we get through on the other side, we don't need to hide all that away. But we need to have an authenticity about our life and a realness about our life that allows even not only the mountaintops, but the valleys to be used. Not only the trophies of our life to be used, but the scars of our life to be used as well. Because I'm going to tell you this. That's what will make you absolutely magnetic to other people. Because you know what they have in their life? They have trophies and they have scars as well. And whatever you're going through today, if you're in a hard place, you're just like me. You're just a common man or woman who's working in your life on your particular wall. If you're going through a hard time, I'm here to tell you this. You're going to go through it. You're going to go through it. And you're going to follow God and you're going to keep your eyes on Him and you're going to do the next right thing and you're going to go through it. And when you get out on the other side, you're going to have an amazing story to tell and God's going to use it to bless other people. And even though it might be a very difficult chapter in your life, let me tell you this, one chapter does not define the story of an entire book. It was good in four. It is awesome in six. It was weird and difficult in five. And we all can relate. Amen, church? Amen to that. There's one verse that I want to give you that will help you get through as you're walking through. And I want you to check it out this afternoon. We've got to hustle on. It is 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Cast all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. I love that verse. Because that verse is really a... An invitation to go fishing. I was talking 
with a, just a, a, a great person this past week about going fishing. And I'm like, yes, let's go fishing. And, um, and this verse is all about going fishing. Cast all your cares upon him. And here's what I want you to do if you're going through difficulties today. I want you to take those difficulties today and I want you to put them all on the hook. I almost brought my fishing pole. That's the funny thing about fishing. Most people don't like to uh, bait their hook, do they? Oh, I'll put it, I'll bait the hook if I can use corn. Are you kidding me? Come on. Let's get a good, squishy, ooey gooey night crawler on there. And I mean, let's, let's really goo this thing up if we're going to really have some success in fishing. But most people don't like to bait their hook unless they're putting on corn. Or I can put on some pieces of hot dog. Or bread. Hot, don't put a hot dog. Eat that hot dog. Don't put that on there. Cast all your cares. Put all of your cares, all the things that's stressing you and weighing you down as you're going through. Put them on the hook. And here's the invitation. Look at this, church. Take it and cast it into the hands of a great and faithful God. And here's the great trick. Do not reel it back in. Cast all your cares upon him. Here's what I want you to hear today. For he cares for you. Would you say that with me on the count of three? He cares for me. Let's say it on one, two, three. He cares for me. He cares for you. And whatever you're going through, you can cast your cares to him. Here's what I beg you not to do. Just don't reel them back. I'm a master of reeling them back. I cast them to him at 10 in the morning. I've reeled them back. I got them right up with me at 2 o'clock. I cast them back at 2.15. I leave them there. I've got them reeled right back in, right up in my lap at 4.15. Cast them to him and do not reel them back in. You know why? Because you are going through. One chapter is not the whole definition of a story. Let him work. Let him lead you and watch what he does. Here we have a situation where people are in tension. There's angst. There's frustration. Really, the completion of the wall is in jeopardy. We're going to see what happens. But don't forget in Nehemiah 6.15, and the wall was, what was it, church? The wall was, you got it. Number two, look at the second set of eyes. The nobles and the officials, verse 7. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. Bear in mind, these are Hebrews. This was Hebrew on Hebrew violence. This was Hebrew on Hebrew taxation. This was Hebrew on Hebrew levies. This was Hebrew on Hebrew interest. Exorbitant interest. These nobles and these princes, these people of great authority, you know what they were doing to their, to their countrymen? They were squeezing them for every drop that they could get. What's the lesson here? Nehemiah is going to come onto the scene, the ultimate leader. He's the last set of eyes we're going to see. You know what he basically says? Let me advance the story. Nehemiah says to the common man and woman on the wall, you're going through a hard time, but don't lose heart. You are going through. And every day that you walk through, you can cast. You can go fishing. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. He cares for you. Cast it into his hands and his lap and do not reel it back. To the nobles and the officials. You know what Nehemiah is going to say to them? He's going to say to them this very simple message. Do right and be fair. That's what he's going to say. Do right and be fair. Do right and be fair. 
Treat your brothers. Treat your employers, your employees, these people that you're in relationship with, these people that you're doing life with. Treat them justly and treat them fairly. I wanted to bring one of our wonderful businessmen up who's a part of the Northwest Hills family who owns and operates different businesses in our city and has many employees. Schedules just wouldn't permit it. But every time I visit with this business person who I really love and appreciate, every time I sit with him, you know what he says to me? It always comes up. Pastor Mike, regarding my employees, I just want to really treat them fairly. I want to treat them fairly. It always just blesses my heart. I'm like, yes. I'm so thankful that's in your heart. This person loves the Lord. Wants to be a good testimony for God in the workplace. You know, that's a great way to start doing it. To treat people around you justly and fairly. Do what is right with fairness. You know what I've learned in my life? What is right is always fair, and what is fair is always right. It just works. Nehemiah says nobles, princes, leaders, people with authority, change agents, people who can change schedules and And move people around and and with their pen or with their word or with an email, they can impact the work environment. These are those managers and supervisors. Some of you here are supervisors in your home. Let me urge you in your home to treat your children justly and fairly. It will serve you well. With all our kids growing up, we had a job jar. Certain offenses will get you in big trouble. I mean, like, big league trouble. There are three. They all start with a D. Disrespect, dishonesty, or the double D, direct disobedience. And everybody says, ooh, that's right. Don't lie to me. Don't be disrespectful. And surely don't directly disobey, or that's going to get you in a world of hurt in a hurry. But you know very well that in your home, there's also things that your children do that aren't one of those three big ones. They're just immature things. They're just childish things. They're just inattention things. They're just things that children need to learn as they grow up. And so for those things, we always had a job jar. And we'd say, you've got to get something out of the job jar. Maybe it's sweep the walk. It was usually things that was self-serving to me. <laughs> you've got to go walk the dog. You've got to go pick up after the dog. It's the best. Put three of those in there. You got to vacuum the front rug, whatever. You put those, just get them, get them working, get them thinking, a little corrective, a little time to teach. That wasn't a good choice. Wasn't one of the three D's, but it's still not appropriate. We're all learning. We're growing. God's teaching me. I'm teaching you. We're all learning and growing together. But you know what else we would put in that job jar? We would put a couple of slips in there that were just blank. And you would reach into the job jar after doing something that was a poor choice and you would pull out, not pick up after the dog, not sweep the sidewalk. You would get a blank piece of paper. And what would that say to you? You just received what, church? Grace. That's right. You just received grace. Because we are people, we are a household that's overwhelmed with the grace that we have received from God. We want to be fair. We want you to get a picture of that. We want you to see that, that sometimes you just get blessed even when you don't deserve it. And that should not breed arrogance and pride. That should breed breed great humility and gratitude when we get blessed 
even when we don't deserve it. To the nobles, the officials, the princes, do what is right and be fair. Do what is right and be fair. By the way, never does it say you can't make a profit. Never does it say that you can't, you can't offer a loan and, and there may be some, some, uh, some interest attached to that or, or there may not be. You choose not to. Or, or never does it say that you can't, you can't maybe buy and sell lands and, and profit from them and, and do commerce. Never does it, does it not say that. What it says is that as you do this, make sure that you're doing the right thing and make sure that you're being fair. And especially people within your family, the household of faith, don't squeeze them for every drop that you can get out of that lemon. Especially when you're working together to do a great thing for God and you're together navigating a famine in the land. Keep all of that in perspective. What's the verse that you'd have for us, Pastor Mike? It's simple, Micah 6, 8. He has showed the old man what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. I always teach that verse from the bottom up. When we walk humbly with our God, His love for us, as we experience His grace and mercy in our life, He then fuels us in having a capacity for grace and mercy to, to express to others. And He gives us the wisdom, the power, and the strength to do what is right, even when it's hard. To do what is right, even when we could have gotten more. To do what is fair, even when we could have maybe swung for the fences even more, but we chose to back off and we were satisfied with a single when we could have got a triple because it helps and blesses that person who's going through a difficult time in their life. When we walk humbly with him and we experience his mercy, we then can share mercy. When we experience his truth, then we can do the right next thing out of our life and we can treat people fairly as God always treats us with incredible Love, grace, and fairness. Nobles, elders, and princes, be fair. Guys, we're just about done. Here we go, the grand conclusion. I'm going to give you a jewel here that's worth you showing up this morning. You're going to love it. It's about 90 seconds away. Verse 6. Look at the personal pronoun. When I heard their complaints, I, after thinking it over, I, I, I. Who's this I? Here's our last set of eyes. It's not the average man, the common man, who's learning to go through it. It's not the nobles and the officials who are learning to be fair and do what is right. But here we have the last set of eyes. It's who I call the ultimate leader. His name is Nehemiah. He doesn't name himself here in the third person. He doesn't pull a Bob Dole. Remember Bob Dole? He always used to say, I'm going to tell you, Bob Dole. He'd always call himself by his own name. He'd speak in the third person. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He says, I, I heard their complaints. Here comes the takeaway. We're showing up this morning. I was very, what's the Bible say, church? I was very angry. And what does he do after he gets angry? Look at the next phrase. And I thought it over. Now there's wisdom right there for you. That's what you need to do the next time you get angry. You don't need to immediately open your mouth. In fact, the next time you get really angry, who here, oh, this is going to be fun. Who here was really angry last week? Let me see your hand. 
you were really angry. I mean, you were just mad last week. All right? Who here thinks they may be mad at some point this upcoming week? Let me see your hand. Okay, yeah, good. Who was mad on your way to church this morning? Okay, oh, no. Okay, we got to. God bless you folks, honest people. I would have never known it. You're great Christians. You cleaned it up, popped on the church face. Yes, we're glad to be at church. We screamed at each other all the way here, but we're glad to be here. Good to see everybody. Wonderful. Love the authenticity. Thank you. Yeah. What do we do when we get angry? Well, usually people do one of two things. They either clam up. I call them the clamor uppers. And they try to ice the situation. Ice, ice, baby. Ice, ice, baby. And they always appear more spiritual. Because they don't fall into the second category. They're the blower uppers. Right here from the great Northwest, Mount Saint, put your name there. And the ash goes all over your house, your car, your street. There are typically in every relationship blower uppers and clamor uppers. I love what Nehemiah teaches us here. When I heard their complaint, I was very angry. Look at this. After thinking it over. The next time you get angry, before you clam up or blow up, you know what you need to do? You need to just stop. You need to pray about it. And you need to think about it. And you need to ask God for wisdom as to what you should do. May I dare to say that sometimes he may have you do absolutely nothing. Because he's going to take care of it. Sometimes you have to have... A hard and uncomfortable and angsty and difficult conversation. Who here likes those? Two people who need counseling. That's okay. That's okay. No, no human typically likes those. We all are by nature conflict adverse. So what do we do when we get angry? We stop. We think about it and we pray about it. We pray about it and we think about it. And we ask God what he wants us to do. And then we never forget the principle of Ephesians 4.15. When we do speak, we don't clam up. We don't ice ice baby the situation. We don't blow up. We don't turn into Mount Saint, put your name there. We speak up the truth, but speaking the truth in love. We say, man, we've got a problem. And we need to talk about it and we need to resolve it. In a healthy and right way. Because when we clam up and blow up, you know what happens? We end up creating more problems to resolve. To a point sometimes so many, we can't even remember. You're going to finish my sentence, church. We can't even remember what the original problem... Exactly. Can't even remember what the original problem was at that point. Oh, I love Nehemiah's example. Here's the ultimate leader. Who says, I was very angry after thinking it over. I spoke out against these nobles and officials. You know what he chose to do? He chose to have a difficult conversation. I love it. He said, I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. I gathered all the Hebrews together. Stood up on a couple of those big rocks, those rubble pieces. Listen, Hebrew people, we have a problem here. Things are not going well. We've got to resolve this. 
Hey, average man or woman, that's me. You're going through it. One chapter doesn't define your whole story. Hey, person of authority, noble, official, do what is right. Be fair. Hey, ultimate leader in the story. What a joy. A leader shows up and a leader does what leaders do. They lead. A leader does what leaders do. They lead. You know what he says? Let's gather everybody together and let's make this right. You know what he did? He used his voice and his influence to make a difference. And that's exactly what leadership is. Leadership is influence. And he used his voice and his influence to make a difference. Let me show you what he did. He says, I quote in verse 7, You are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, here's the ultimate leader, Nehemiah, in quotes, we're doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again? How often must we redeem them? What a that must have just struck their hearts. And they had nothing to say in their defense. He's hit them with the truth. He didn't roar. He let the truth roar. But he was bold in his leadership. Then I pressed further. Sometimes that's what leaders do. You'll have to learn that with your kids. I hope you don't take the first thing they say to you. Oh, okay. I hope you've learned the art of pressing further with your kids. Pressing further. Wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. You said what? Let me press a little further. He pressed further. And what's he do? He presses further. What, what, what you're doing is not right. You should not walk in the fear of our God. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. And repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Here's my final words. They replied, listen to this conclusion. We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Wow. The ultimate leader used his voice to make a difference. You know what? I want to give the nobles and the leaders here some credit. You know what? They responded to it. And they said, we're sorry. We want to make this right. You know what that did for the common man and woman that was working on the wall? Justice and right and fairness was restored. And their good chapter four held them through a difficult chapter five. And it got them to and through to a great chapter six. Because the leader used his voice and his influence to make a difference. There's some leaders in this room, and God wants you to use your voice and your influence to make a difference. There's some nobles and officials in this room, and God wants you to use your, your leadership and your, your managerial opportunities and your supervisory opportunities to make a difference for good and right in your workplace. And it just might be the answer that some person that's absolutely busting their tail every day absolutely needs to receive a blessing that's been in waiting for them. 
had a very kind lady tell me between the services that she was just promoted at her workplace. And tomorrow she has her first meeting with 30 people that are going to be direct reports to her. She said, Pastor Mike, this was the message I absolutely needed to hear. Because I want to go in and I want to lead them with fairness and with justice and with clarity. She said, I want to take Nehemiah's leadership style right to my very first team meeting tomorrow. She said, I'm going to tell them, yesterday I heard some ancient wisdom. I said, that's so exciting. Let him use you to make a difference. You treat people that way, they'll run through a brick wall for you. They really will. So cool. One final thing and we're done. They replied, we'll get back everything we owe. Verse 13, I shook out the folds of my robe, Nehemiah says. Watch. I shook out the folds of my robe. And I said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. This dude is bold. And the whole assembly responded, Amen. And a hard season ended. God's taking you through. And nobles and leaders, they learn to be just and fair. Fairness. And a leader shows us the example of using his voice firmly, courageously, boldly. But all of that to do good. To honor God and to help and bless other people. Leaders under the sound of my voice, use your voice, use your influence to serve God and people. That's where the, that's where the fulfillment comes. When we use our voice to serve God and to serve people. Use your voice to add value to other people. What a joy that is. A weird and quirky chapter comes to an end. And in chapter 6, verse 15, the wall was finished. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We love your word. Even the chapters that seem somewhat parenthetical, they have great truths and resources that we can just extract and apply right where we're living it, right here. In March 2019, I pray that no matter where folks are of influence or little to no influence, great influence this morning, that you would speak to them through these truths from your word. Lord, that in the simplest of applications, when things hit our heart that make us angry, may we wait. May we open our mouths with wisdom. May we speak the truth in love. Show us and teach us, Lord. Thank you for the reality that being a follower of Christ makes us a better person. And being a follower of Christ and a learner of his word makes us better at doing life. We thank you for that. And thank you for all that Nehemiah had to teach us this morning. We prayed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's stand together for our last song.